I want you to turn to the uh, book of Romans, chapter 1. And I want to read beginning at verse 16 and read through verse 21. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Um, one night after a devotional time in the cabin at Falls Creek, we kind of lingered, some of us, a few of us, to talk about some of the things that um, had been said in a sermon. And we were talking about um, the tremendous um, uh, conflict of, um, of understanding that goes on among uh, different religions in the world. And we agreed, those of us who were talking, that there's so many people who believe, you know, in a different uh, God. Some believe um, uh, in Muhammad and Allah, and some believe in Buddha. And all of these people are sincere, and they have a definite conviction that what they believe is correct. And they're sincerely following the conviction of their heart and mind in their belief. And they feel that they're just as right as we are. And we talked about, you know, for example, some of the people that we've encountered out here at the university who are strongly and zealously committed to, to the Muslim faith. And they can see how that Jesus is a prophet of God, but Allah is the true God and Muhammad is His prophet. They believe that just as sincerely as we believe in Christ. And um, they'll go to the grave believing that. And we probably will not change them. We, we discussed that. The conversation developed and began to move to this question. What about the people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean those who, maybe some pagan off in the jungle somewhere who has never had the gospel presented to him. He's never had a Bible and he's never heard of Jesus. What about him? If the Bible teaches that the only way a person can be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, and the only way to go to heaven is to come to a knowledge of Christ through faith, what about the person who has never heard about Jesus? Will that person die and go to hell and be separated from God, and he's never heard of Jesus? And what kind of justice would that mean? What kind of God would that be? if God would allow man or send a man to hell because he never believed in Jesus and he had never heard of Jesus. 
And is that a kind, is there a justice in that, and is there a fairness in that? I think I shared with you, I preached one time up in Gresham, Oregon, and after the service, a guy came up to me and he said, I don't like what you said tonight. I said, well, let's talk about it. He said, you said that nobody could ever be saved except trusting in Jesus Christ, that He's the only way to God. He said, I don't believe that at all. He said, I have my faith in my God, and I believe that Jesus Christ is just another prophet, another good teacher. And if you believe in Him, that's fine. That's your way to God. I believe in my prophet. He's my way to God. I said, well, the only difference is that the Scripture says to me, and I believe the Scripture, that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And if He's, the, if he's not the only way, He's none of the ways. So what about it? If a person has never heard the gospel, what about him? I want to give you four propositions. I've shared these before, not in a sermon. But I want you to jot them down. And maybe this will be helpful. Number one, all men have some light. Proposition one, all men have some light. John says in his prologue that Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. Now, what, now listen to that. Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world, so that all men have some light, some light. Now with this text that you have and I've just read, I want to put the pagan world on trial. We're going to put the pagan world on trial. And we're going to try the pagan world, that is the world that has never heard the gospel, that's never had a Bible, that's never heard a mission sermon. And we're going to put this pagan world on trial and Paul is going to be the prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney stands to plead his... his, his um, uh, the defendant's case. And this is what the, the defense attorney says. I plead my client's innocence. He is innocent because he has never heard the gospel. He has never heard about Jesus. I plead his innocence on the basis of ignorance. And the Apostle Paul, the prosecuting attorney, stands to prove that the pagan world is without excuse. And he says, I want to bring two uh, witnesses to, to testify against the defense. I want to bring two witnesses who will testify that the, this pagan world is not without excuse. Is without excuse. The first witness I want to bring is creation. I want you to look at verse 19 again with me. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now the Apostle Paul is saying this, there is enough light in the created order around us that man would have witness of God. That's what the psalmist is saying in Psalms 19. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament bears witness to His handiwork. You go out at night and look into the starry heavens, and the stars are declaring there is a God, there is a supreme creator, there is one higher than you. 
There is evidence in the created order that there is a God so that man is without excuse. Have you ever noticed that the Bible never deals with atheism? Only one half of one verse of one scripture deals with atheism. And that verse says, A fool saith in his heart, There is no God. I heard about this preacher who was up preaching one night on the facts of God, on the reality of God. And there was this atheist sitting out in the audience and he just couldn't buy anything that preacher was saying. And he took out a pencil and a piece of paper and he scribbled one word on this note, motioned an usher over, the, over to him and, and, and whispered, take this note, it's an emergency to the speaker. And the usher went up there, kind of unusual deal, but interrupted the preacher, handed him this note. The preacher assuming that, um, that, the, that, that it was an emergency, opened the note, saw the word fool on it. And he said, you know, it's the strangest thing has happened tonight. I've often received notes that were written by people who forgot to sign their name. This is the first time, however, he said, that I've received a man's name who forgot to write the note. <laughs> a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know what the atheist says? The atheist says, nothing times nothing equals everything. I tell you, it's ten times easier to believe that the creation is created by a divine creator who is above it and beyond it and surrounding it and underneath it than it is to believe that. And the Apostle Paul says, I bring one other witness to testify against the defense. It's the witness of one's own conscience. I want you to look at verse 14 of chapter 2. Verse 14 of chapter 2 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. Now this is what he says. He said, he's talking to the Jews now who had the law of the Old Testament. And he said, now the, now the, now the Jews had the law that taught them right from wrong. But he said the Gentiles did not have the law that told them how they were to live, what they were to do, what was right and wrong. But he said they had this law within them instinctively. And then he says they, had, they were the law within themselves. Now what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, that God has created man, every one of us, with a with a sense of rightness and wrongness, with an ethic, so that you and I instinctively know what is right and what is wrong. And that inner witness, that instinct, that conscience, we might want to call it, is an evidence that there was one who understood what is the wrongness and the rightness of life, and he implanted that conscience within man. Now the Apostle Paul, this is his argument. Even the pagan who has never heard the gospel has enough evidence to believe in God in the created world around him and in the law of his own conscience so that he is without excuse. Proposition one, every, every man has some light. Proposition two, light refused increases darkness. 
Look at verse 21 of chapter 19. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now watch this. When a man has some light and he refuses to live up to that light, then the light becomes darkness. Truth is something you use or you lose. Jesus gave us one of these verses of Scripture that is so difficult. He said, To whom that hath it shall be given, but to him that hath not it shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, I don't understand a lot of what that says, but I know it says this. That if a person doesn't use what he has, he loses it. If he doesn't respond to it, he loses it. That's true across the board. You, you take your hand, your arm, and you, you, you just not use that arm for a, a six-month time and see you'll, you'll, it begins to deteriorate you begin to lose its strength. Take your arm and tie it to your body and, uh, and, and, and not use it, not flex your muscles, not use those muscles, and pretty soon you lose them. Now truth is not something you can put on ice and use when you get ready, preserve it. Truth is not something you can put in your pocket or your purse and one day take out when you desire it. If you come under the gospel truth and you do not respond to that truth, you lose it. Now, now, now listen. The most dangerous thing in the world is to come to church. For when you come to church and the light of the gospel is revealed in the message, in the messages of, of the word or the song, and you refuse that light, that light becomes darkness. Now with your little New Testament, your little finger, I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. I want to show you a dynamic verse, a scary verse. 2 Thessalonians, it's right on past Romans where we were. And I want you to turn to the second chapter, verse 9. And he's talking about this lawless one who is coming. Verse 8 that context, and he comes to verse 9, he says, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved. Here are these people who had the truth and they did not receive it so as to be saved. And then verse 11 says, And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. Now I want you to get this picture. Here's a guy who comes to church every Sunday. I mean, he can listen on Sunday and hear a dozen sermons. 
He comes to church and he hears the truth and he has some light and he refuses that light, does not respond to it. And, and he comes to church the next Sunday and there's light and he refuses that light and that light becomes darkness. One Sunday morning he decides he'd just stay at home and uh, enjoy a uh, uh, little uh, TV and the paper and he's sitting there in his living room on Sunday morning in his house shoes and he's reading a red uh, funnies and there's this door, uh, the doorbell rings and at the door is this guy. And he says, I've come to tell you about Jehovah. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. They always come around on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock because they know the people who are not at church are prime, prime targets. He says, I've come to tell you about Jehovah. And the man says, come on in. Sit down, let's visit. And he gives them this, this message of the Jehovah's Witness, this cult group. And the scripture says that he believes the falsehood. Why? Because he has had the light and he refuses it. And that light becomes darkness. Now the people of Romans 1 became steeped in their paganism not because they were bad from the beginning but because they had the evidence of God and they refused it and their foolish heart was darkened. Proposition 2, light refused becomes darkness. Proposition 3, light obeyed increases light. Light obeyed increases light. Now, you said, you may be thinking, well, you said that a person had to believe in Jesus before he could go to heaven. And what the scripture is talking about is believing God. And, and, and can't you believe in God and, and not know about Jesus and still not, not go to heaven because you said you couldn't go to heaven without believing in Jesus? Well, if a person responds to the light he has about God, God will give him light about Jesus. If a person obeys the light he has about God, God will give him light about Jesus. Well, why would God, for why would God give one light about the way to God if a person is not uh, interested in the fact of God? But when a person is interested and responding to the fact of God, God will give him light about the way to God. And the scripture says in, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 1 that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now what that means is this, that when we respond to the light we have, God gives us more light. When we respond in faith, to the light we have, God gives us more light. And when we respond to that, He gives us more light. And when we respond to that, He gives us more light. So that when a person sees in the created world around him evidence of God, and he feels that inner witness of God within him, and he responds to that light, then God gives him more light and more light, and He gives him a knowledge of Jesus. That's why we don't understand the Bible any better than we do. God is not going to help you or let you understand more about the Bible until you're obedient to what you already know about the Bible. 
You know the best way to understand the things you don't understand about the Bible? Let me tell you, have the best way to learn and understand what you don't understand about the Bible. That is, to be obedient to what you already know about the Bible. And so we come to God and we say, God, help me to understand all these scriptures that I don't understand. And God says, no, I'm not going to help you understand those scriptures. I'm not going to reveal them to you because you're not obedient to what you already know. You get obedient to that, more light will come. We go from faith to faith. Now let me draw this picture. Here's this man in the jungle of Ecuador and some night he walks out and he looks around him and the starry sky around him and he feels this voice inside of him saying there must be something greater than you. And he looks around him at his creation and here's just a, a, just a pagan man but he sees the ardor of creation and he holds a flower in his hand and he feels something whisper inside of him there's something greater than you. And he starts to do those things that uh, uh, he knows instinctively are wrong and there's this voice inside of him that says there's something greater that's in control of this world and you're, you're to obey him. I have a strong conviction, let me share it with you, that that man, God will send a missionary to that man if he has to wreck a plane and parachute a missionary into that jungle. And I believe there are two illustrations in the scripture that will, that will uh, substantiate that statement. Number one is when the Ethiopian eunuch was riding along in his chariot and he was reading the Bible. He was reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and he was reading about Jesus, but he didn't understand who this Jesus was. In fact, he, 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 he had never heard of him before. But he was responding to God as he knew God, as a loyal Jew, a man who had the scripture. And all of a sudden God took Philip and put him out there on the way to Gaza on the desert road. And then he told Philip to go and join himself to that chariot. For here was a man responding to the light he had. And God gave him more light, light enough to believe in Jesus. And the second illustration is in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. And there was this Gentile by the name of Cornelius. He was an Italian. But he was a devout man, the Bible said, and he prayed to God every day, but he didn't know anything about Jesus. And here was this Italian, this Gentile, praying to God, had never heard of Jesus. And over in another place, God was putting down this sheet with these unclean animals in it, and he was telling Simon Peter, you go to the house of Cornelius and bear witness of Jesus, for here is a devout man responding to the light he has. I'm told that Helen Keller, who was born blind and mute, one day had a tutor who decided that it was time, she was teaching her through touch and feeling, it was time for her to tell her about Jesus. And so in that way of communication that she had developed with, with Helen Keller, she said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And she said, Helen Keller's face lit up like a light. And she said, Jesus, I have always known him. I just didn't know his name. And I've heard about a man by the name of Nikolai Alexandreko, who was a German resistance fighter. And he was in Germany in the, war, in the war and it was cold and he was in a barracks unheated, all alone, frightened. 
needy. And he saw some tracks over there, some gospel tracks lying, uh, laying over there in the side of the room. And, and he decided he would use those to build a fire. And he took those gospel tracks and he, and, he, and he saw in the gospel tracks some word about God. And he took that gospel track and he said, There is no God, I don't think. And then he said, Oh God, if you really are out there, it would be wonderful if I could get to know you. If you really are God, I'd like for you to tell me so. And God spoke to the inner being of Nikolai Alexandreko these words, Child, I've always been here. I've just been waiting for you to recognize me. And Alexandreko is a Baptist preacher today. And the pastor of the Great Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee said that one morning while he was preaching on television, a woman received Christ into her life and trusted the Lord. And her husband was a Jewish psychiatrist. Now that's about as far away from faith in Christ as you can get. And she went down to profess her faith in Christ and was baptized and Adrian Rogers, the pastor, talked to that Jewish psychiatrist about his faith in Jesus. And he said, I don't have any problems with her believing, but I can't believe that myself. And Adrian Rogers said, I want to challenge you, sir, to do something. He said, I want you to take every day of your life, I want you to take the Gospel of John and read it, chapter 3, and I want you to get out on your knees if you really have an open mind and I want you to say these words, God, if you really are God and Jesus Christ is your son, I want you to tell me so. About six months later, he called his wife into the bedroom of their spacious mansion in Memphis, Tennessee and said, just a little while ago, down on my knees, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And he did. And he's one of their most dynamic laymen in the Bellevue Baptist Church today. And I had a guy come to my church, a magician. His name is Danny Corum. He's a converted Jew. Danny Corum has invented some of the tricks you see on television. He's 29 years old. He's a fantastic magician. He, on the stage where I was sitting, not ten feet from him, I saw him make an aquarium. I don't understand it yet. I saw him make an aquarium full of water and fish disappear. And Danny Corum said, gave his testimony to the group of laymen, of men that, where he was speaking. He said, I was a confirmed Jew. I was going to be a, a, a Jewish rabbi. But he said, a man came to our school in North Dallas on career day, a Baptist preacher to talk about the, the ministry. And he said, I thought I'd never heard a Baptist preacher before. He said, I went to listen to this man speak on career day. And he set up a desire in my heart to know if Jesus Christ was really real. And Danny Corum said, one night 
I'd been searching for six months. And he said, one night I went into my room and I got out on my knees and I said, God, if Jesus Christ is really your son, confirm that to me some way. And he said, I'm not going to tell you men exactly what happens. You probably wouldn't believe it. But when I came out of that room, I knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Proposition three, light obeyed increases light. Proposition four, and this is it, and I'm quit. Men are judged according to the light that they have. Men are judged by the light they have. Romans 2.16. Now with your New Testament, I want to show you a passage. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Would you turn to that? Matthew 11, beginning verse 20. Then Jesus began to preach, reproach the cities in which most of His miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I don't know how it's going to happen, but if that verse is true, this is what that verse says, that it would be a lot better for you to go to hell from Russia than from Durant. Because men are not judged so much by the sin they commit. They are judged by the light they've refused. And this is the judgment, says Jesus, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Some way, somehow, when we stand before God, our judgment is going to be greater than the man in the jungle because you and I have heard a sermon every 15 minutes ever since we were born. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, We thank you that we have some light. We have sufficient light to believe in Christ. And we thank you that in responding to the light we had, you gave us light enough to be saved. And every person in this room right now has enough knowledge to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And I pray that he and she will not turn away from the light, but will obey and will respond and be saved. 
And I pray that those of us who have responded to the light we have, we've come to know Christ as our Savior, that we'll understand that there is a world in darkness who needs the light of Christ. And we shall be accountable to God for them. Now for this moment of invitation, I pray that the decisions that are made now will please you through Jesus Christ our Lord, whose name I pray. Now there are invitations, look this way, or three. We invite you to get up out of your seat in this invitation and come and give your heart and life to Jesus. Just like old wheels out there in front of nickels and dimes, some of you who came down an aisle or at Falls Creek or wherever, and you had the light, the knowledge of Jesus Christ who died and rose again, the knowledge of salvation. You have enough knowledge to be saved. And this is the closest you'll ever be to salvation. For some of you, the closest you'll ever be is this very night. I invite you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Come and be saved. I'm not saying join the church or be baptized. I'm asking you, have you ever invited Christ into your life? You have enough knowledge to be saved. The second invitation is for you to come and place your life in the church. If there's any other way to do the work of God in the church, the Holy Spirit would tell us. The third invitation, these are simultaneous, simultaneously extended. It's for you to come and give your life in total commitment to Christ, maybe to respond to God's call to the mission work of the world or to preaching, whatever God leads you to do. We're going to sing together our invitation, just a couple of stanzas. We'll ask you to come right quick as we stand to sing.